Hello, everyone. This is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now, this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. Alarm to Rescue 15, is 15, Rescue 15, Engine 15, respond out to Cliffs Amusement Park. It's going to be near the Sea Dragon. Got a 15-year-old male with a tracheostomy. He's having trouble breathing after getting off the ride. It's a 6 Delta, Rescue 15, Engine 15. Cliffs Amusement, 6 Delta 2, 15-year-old male near the Sea Dragon. Hello and welcome to another episode of the AFR podcast, joined again by Dr. Pruitt. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, so you heard the dispatch. Uh, we do get called out to tracheostomy emergencies. And I maybe have seen two patients uh, with one of these in place, but Dr. Pruitt has a horror story for us to make sure that we're listening up close on this episode. <laughs> I'll be completely honest. Um, tracheostomies are one of the things that scare me. And they shouldn't because it's the ultimate definitive airway, right? Um, but sometimes things can go terribly wrong. And I didn't even know that I should be afraid, but I probably <laughs> should have been this whole time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they, they do scare me. It, they shouldn't because we can make them fairly simple. And hopefully after this podcast, we will. But I think over the thousands of patients I've seen over the years, one of the worst things I've seen is a, a tracheostomy that was bleeding. Um, and we can get into the pathophysiology of that a little bit later, but this lady came in and she came in by ambulance and she had been just having a little bit of dried blood around a little four by four around her tracheostomy site. And uh, I was a resident at the time, so I thought it wasn't that big of a deal. She sat in the ER all night waiting for the ENT to come evaluate her, the surgeon who had placed the tracheostomy who was who she came to see but she was stable so we just let her sit there for hours no bleeding while she was there dried blood on a little four by four not much to mention and when the surgeon got in there he had cleaned around the trach site and said it was okay and then he left to go get his supervisor and shortly after that um i was paged emergently to the room and this lady had just massive amounts of red splurting blood coming out of her tracheostomy oh, wow. site. And she was getting more and more tachycardic, hypoxic, blood everywhere, and just getting pale and that terrified look in her eyes like right in front of me. And so we had to act really fast to troubleshoot the problem. Um, it was pretty, pretty terrifying for her more than me, but um, it was an awful experience all the way around. All right. Well, that'll be our teaser. So if you want to know how to fix that patient, uh, stay tuned until the end of the episode. Okay. So again, this is all, this is going to be part of our uh, respiratory emergency series that we're doing. Um, this is just another thing that could go wrong. As you heard on the dispatch, this uh, crew got called out to a six Delta uh, Cliffs amusement park. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention about this dispatch is it, it shouldn't be that mysterious. You know, it shouldn't be like, uh, I don't know what the problem is. These people are probably going to have a caregiver. So they're going to, as you, as you heard on that dispatch, you know, they knew there was a, a trach in place. So that part shouldn't come as a surprise, but again, it's, it's not very common. I've only run across it a couple times. You probably see it a lot more, you know, again, with all the patients in the city coming to the ER, you know, you're probably exposed to it a bit more than we are. Yeah. Um, I think the good thing about trachs is you're right. There's usually a caregiver there and more often than not, they're very highly trained in tracheostomy care, so I tend to depend on them um, to answer questions and help troubleshoot things with the trach because they're very reliable and they're very highly trained. 
I guess my first question is what kind of uh, patient needs a trach? Why, why do they have that in place? So um, I think of usually about three things that usually a patient will get a trach for. A lot of times you'll see it in your, your patients that need prolonged ventilation, like a terrible spinal cord injury or a terrible brain injury or even a stroke where you just can't get them off the ventilator for whatever reason. They, can't, they don't have their own respiratory drive coming from their brain or their diaphragm and they're gonna need long-term ventilation. Um, there's some patients that have an obstruction in their upper airway, so whether that's cancer or swelling or even morbidly obese patients, um, for whatever reason their upper airway is not functioning and they need to have a more permanent way to oxygenate and ventilate um, would be another type of patient that would need it. Okay, and then when we're looking at these trachs, um, you have a PowerPoint on this that you break it down into the what, when, and and why. So explain those three questions that we should be asking yeah. ourselves. So as you're approaching this patient and you're on the way to Cliff's Amusement Park and you know you're going to be dealing with a trach, the three most important questions that you're either going to have for that um, patient or that caregiver are going to determine your way that you're going to address the shortness or breath complaint. So the what is what kind of surgery did you have? So some patients will actually, um, like we talked about, just stroke patients, will have a completely intact upper airway that works just fine. It's just they don't have the mechanics of breathing or they're aspirating too much, so they have the trach placed. But there's other patients that have a surgery that's called a laryngectomy, where actually their entire upper airway, all the anatomical structures in their neck have been removed, for usually for cancer. And what the surgeons will do is take take that lower part of the trachea and just divert from the upper airway and literally just pull it to the front of the neck. So there's no access from the mouth to get to the airway. And that's very important when you're thinking about having to try to ventilate this patient. So that's the what. And then the when is also important because you want to know how fresh is this trach? How long has it been in place? Um, if it's less than two weeks old, this is not an airway that you're going to want to manipulate in any way. You're going to do your best to do blow-by, but you're not going to want to stick anything in it because there's a really high risk of creating a false track. But if it's been there for a while, um, then you can feel fairly reassured that that's a track that you can work with and manage Okay. Can you explain a false track? I don't think people are going to be as familiar with that yeah. as you yeah. are. So a track that's less than two weeks old, those tissues are going to be really soft and really friable and there's not kind of a if you think about if you think about someone who's got their their ears pierced and they have those um what's that called uh, a gauge or a gauge yeah in their ears and that that track is there and it's been there a while and you can stick anything through it right and it, over time, it's been um, expanded. That's kind of like a trach. It just takes time for those tissues to heal and be able to take foreign bodies, like a tracheostomy, going in and out of it. Um, whereas if it's new, um, the tissue is so soft, and there's lots of tissue planes, that if you were to stick something in there, that scar tissue hasn't been formed, and it would be harder to get something actually in the airway and would be easier to get things in the neck where they don't belong okay so the the tubes going in um and it seems like it's going in the trachea but it's not actually gonna provide effective ventilation yeah and it's actually more dangerous for the patient because it'll create you know more blood more trauma more swelling which will be even worse for the airway and so really if it's less than two weeks old even myself like i would just prefer that 
people just don't touch it mm. and just try to passively ventilate through the hole that's still there if yeah. the trick comes out. When you bring up those false uh, tracks, it reminds me of when I was, uh, again, in the military, we got to do some like live tissue labs. So they would have you do try to do a crike on a pig and they've got all this neck fat. And then, so you have to cut through all that neck fat. And then once, once you get down there and you puncture the uh, cricothyroid membrane, once you go to insert your tube, if you kind of don't keep a good um, placeholder on that spot, you'll end up sliding the tube through one of those false tracks. So the tube's going in, but it's not actually, when you go to bag, it's not actually filling up the lungs in with the air. Airway. Yeah, it's much, it's very easy to do to end up outside of the airway and in, inside the other neck tissues where you don't want to be. Okay. All right. So that's uh, three questions you're going to ask. What, when, and why was it placed? So um, let's get more detail. Let's look at these parts to the trach. So if you're watching on uh, YouTube, we've got some visual for you. If you're listening, we'll try to describe it. Um, what are the three parts we need to know about? Okay. Um, so this is the tracheostomy itself. Um, what is valuable about this or the things you want to look at are, it's just like a ET tube that's shorter. So you want to see if it's got a balloon cuff, just like an ET tube. Some will have it, some will be uncuffed, and that's going to help determine whether or not the patient can phonate through the vocal cords. But you want to know if there's a cuff there. Um, the other thing that's helpful when you're looking at this is there will always be the size listed on the front, so you can ask them how big it is. That's important to know if it comes out or important information for the hospital too, so you can tell them if they need to replace it. This one in particular is a size eight, and it's actually the same size as a 8.0 ET tube. Okay. So the, the sizes are standardized. Each trach will have an inner cannula that goes inside. And what this is useful for is this is the piece that can attach to either a BVM or a ventilator. So you're not going to be able to bag a patient unless the inner cannula is in place. There's pluses and minuses to this. This will help you ventilate if you need to. But the other thing is if you notice, it's pretty thick plastic. So it almost decreases the diameter of your airway by half. So if you've got somebody who's having respiratory difficulty, it's easy for this to get plugged with either mucus or secretions or whatever. So one of your first moves when you see this patient who's having respiratory difficulty and this is the only airway that they have, take this out for a minute, inspect it, make sure there's no plug on the end that's making it hard for them to breathe. You can kind of wash it out or clean it off and then put it back if you need a bag. Um, the other thing is um, this is an obturator, and it's basically like a stylet for your tube. So if the, if the tray could come out and there's no caretaker or anybody there to help you get it back in and you feel like you absolutely have to, and it's an older trach that's been established and has been there for a while, you just put the obturator in just like you would a stylet, and it just adds some firmness. And the actual reason for it is because it's um, very soft at the end, and like we talked about those tissues in the neck, it doesn't tend to dissect tissues. It's, it's blunt and it's smooth, and it tends to just help the trach guide right, right back into where it should be. The important thing to know is if you're using the obturator, obviously it's a solid piece of plastic, so it's occluding the airway. So you use it to, to put the trach in, but as soon as you're in place, you've got to take it right back out so you can ventilate. Okay. Can we go back to the cuff versus uncuffed? So, yeah, sometimes uh, you're saying phonate, just that means talking? We're talking, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so if uh, which one would allow somebody to, to speak? 
Um, so if you have a patient with a cuffed trach, this patient is not going to be able to speak because the normal normal way that we get um, our sounds made is through air coming up through the vocal cords, and this cuff will completely occlude any air from coming above the cords and out the mouth. So if the cuff is down, or there's special trachs that don't even have a cuff, or special things that you can put on the end to help the patient speak. But if you see that the cuff is up, the minute the cuff is up, that means you're not going to be able to verbally communicate with your patient, or they won't be able to verbally communicate with you. Okay. So if there's no cuff, um, they would be able to like put their finger over the hole, and that way the air is going out through their vocal cords, or there's a, like a one-way valve where they can breathe in through the trach and then when they exhale that's going out through their vocal cords again allowing mm -hmm. them to speak exactly and so the patients that usually can speak are the ones that are less reliant they're more reliant on the trach for an airway and less reliant on it for positive pressure if this is a patient we have to bag for whatever reason say they're in respiratory failure it is good be if they had a cuffless trach air can leak around it so if, if they are in respiratory distress and you have to bag them, it's good to inflate the cuff because more air is going to be going into the lungs where you want it to go than out the upper airway. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. And then another part um, I wanted to bring up with these trachs is, you know, what is bypass, like normal ventilation that you and I are doing, what are these patients bypassing yeah, so I, th I think we tend to take it for granted, but there is a ton of value to having your upper airway intact and using that to help with respiration. Um, the sinuses and the oropharynx, they do, the mouth um, does a really good job of humidifying and cleansing air that comes in. It warms it as well so that it catches a lot of the particles and things that would cause irritation in the lungs. Um, and if you take that out of the equation, it causes a lot of problems in the lower airway, which leads to some of our trach emergencies. Okay. So there's, you know, not as clean air going in and then they're also not able to get all that up as effectively, right? Because their glottis is bypassed. So the coughing is, um, less effective as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you think about when you cough, you kind of close your mouth and you get an extra like burst of pressure kind of in the back of your throat and if you don't if you don't have the ability to create that pressure because you have a hole in your neck you're not going to be able to cough very effectively and you're also going to be having more mucus made because like the cilia in your nose the little hairs in your nose that kind of catch all those little particles you don't have that so you're getting particles directly into the lungs that need that your lungs are trying to cough out but you can't and so that's why these patients tend to develop a lot of mucus that's really sticky because it's also not humidified or warmed Okay. <laughs> all right. So we just talked about all the parts of the trach. Now, what can go wrong? Um, I, I always try to keep things simple. So there's three main things. Oh, um, uh, obstruction, bleeding, and then dislodgement. Um, and there's a easy way to approach trach emergencies, the dopes pneumonic. Okay. And that's, uh, I haven't heard the S before, but I know at least dope, you know, for ET tube, they would bring dope up a lot as like troubleshooting it. What could go wrong? So what is that mnemonic going to be for us? Okay. So dopes, um, you're right. Like it works for ET tubes. It works for trach, any kind of airway that you have in place, but the tube could be dislodged. It could be obstructed. Um, you also need to think about anybody who's getting positive pressure. It could be too much pressure causing a pneumothorax. 
um, could be an equipment failure and it could be a problem with forced ventilations versus the patient's respiratory rate. So stacked ventilations might also be a problem as well. Okay. So stacked ventilations, like when the patient's trying to breathe um, over the ventilator. Over the vent, or there's some kind of asynchrony between the two and it makes it hard for the patient to either exhale or inhale when they want to. Okay. So that's a general, you know, mnemonic if you need to go back to have some kind of way to remember everything. But what, what, in your experience, what are the three most common things that we might run into so in the field? The three most common trach emergencies and far and away the absolute most common, like probably 85% of the time is going to be mucus plugging or some sort of obstruction because of what we just talked about with the lack of the upper airway and all that that provides. Um, the second most common will be some sort of dislodgement. So like either the trach came out or it's malpositioned in the neck. And the third, and thank God it's like, pretty infrequent is the bleeding. Okay. So yeah, the most common one, let's talk about, um, having that, uh, inner cannula all plugged up with mucus. What, what are we going to do on scene with that? Okay. Um, like I talked about, like probably my first, uh, approach would be to take the inner cannula out, see if there's a ton of mucus in there, or even just a, sometimes it's as simple as a plug on the end or some sort of concretions is kind of a descriptive term, but you can have um, basically build up inside the inner cannula that you can just wash out. Um, and then you can, if it's not an inner cannula problem and you still think there's some obstruction through the trach, you can suction through there as well. Okay. And have you had to suction one of these before? I've never suctioned one, no. So <laughs> okay. what do we need to do uh, prior to, do we just stick our uh, French catheter down there and Suction. Um, so we talked, these, these, uh, secretions are going to be super thick. And so one thing you can do to help yourself would be to loosen them up. It'll make them easier to suction. And so you can put, uh, anywhere from three to five milliliters of normal saline from a flush in there and have, before you do that, obviously you're, you're putting fluid directly into the lungs theoretically. And so you want to be able to suction that out pretty quickly as well. So have your suction set up. You want to use a flexible, little tiny French catheter, put your fluid in let it sit there for a minute or two to kind of hit those secretions that you're trying to, to loosen up and then be ready to suction it back out. Okay. And there's some, uh, with everything, you know, it's, it's like so easy to say, go ahead and suction the patient. But as I've learned, you know, in my career, there's always things that go wrong with everything that you try to do. So, uh, I'm just going to spend a minute talking about our suction. So, you know, prior to, uh, you know, when you're doing your truck checks in the morning, you just, you got to check that suction pretty thoroughly. You got to check the batteries. Um, most of the time you got the, the yank hour set up already attached, uh, to the tubing or right there easily connected. But the, the French catheters, most of the time they're stored in the little zipper compartment. So we got three different sizes of French catheters available. Um, there's a little pediatric valve that you can pull out. So it's a white valve on the side that if, if it's like suctioning a peed, you're going to want to have less suction. So you can pull that valve out. And, um, one time though, we, we still weren't getting the suction that we needed, you know, and I tried to troubleshoot it as much as I could. And it, what the problem ended up being was the container inside of you, you have the red outer part and then you have like the little container when you pulled that out, there was like a little crack in there. And so that was preventing like a good seal and you weren't getting the proper suction. And so, um, now it just adds to your checks. So now when you're checking your truck, make sure you don't have a crack container or else you're not going to have suction when you need it. So, Oh man, 
that's good those are super helpful um, tips. One other thing you might be able to do is because this is a frequent problem with trach patients is those caregivers are going to be pretty facile at um, suctioning these trachs as well. So the patient might have their own. If for whatever reason your suction isn't working, there's a good likelihood that these patients will have their own suction pretty readily available as well. One thing I didn't mention is when you're suctioning and you're putting that catheter in, you don't want to go too far. So I wouldn't go much more than two or three inches inside the stoma with your catheter because if you go too deep, you can um, like stimulate a vagal response and the patient might brady down Okay. and uh, you can cause some, some bad effects that way. So don't go too deep, but go deep enough to get the suctions out or the secretions. Okay. So that's the most common problem. These, uh, these cannulas might be just full of mucus, so take them out, clean them. If you have to uh, do more of a deeper suction with the French catheter, do that. And the second problem you mentioned was the trach might be misplaced or it might even fall out. So what should we do in that situation? Um, so this can be a problem too. My first move, um, it comes back to your what, when, why questions. If the trach is old and it's been established and you know that it's older than two weeks, I would ask the caregiver. Usually they're going to be the best ones at replacing the trach. Um, ask them if they've tried, um, if they can, and I would let them do it because they're probably more experienced at it. But if you need to, it's okay to go ahead and replace that trach if it's been there a while. Then the um, some things that do happen, it might just need an adjustment. So it could be if um, if the back of it is just malpositioned and say it's butting up against the posterior wall of the trachea, it might need to just be advanced a little farther to get m to make sure that there's a, a patent opening there to get air in and out. So it might just need an adjustment. If it's all the way out, ask the caregiver. Or if it's old enough, you can go ahead and put it back in yourself. Just make sure you're using the obturator and it might take a little bit of lube on there too to slide it back in because this can be kind of painful when you have to put it in okay yeah if they're on a ventilator so i don't know if we touched on it yet but you want us to uh there's some kind of breathing problem going on patients on a ventilator you want us to uh disconnect from that ventilator yeah that's usually the best thing we talked about like um the breath stacking and um maybe it's an equipment failure that's leading to their respiratory distress so if you just take the ventilator out of the equation of what could be causing their shortness of breath it's pretty easy to just um use the pieces that are already there to bag and then troubleshoot from okay. there yeah and throw your uh, capno on there too because you know that's going to tell you some information if you're not you know if you're seeing a good waveform then um it can it can give you some more information help guide your treatment absolutely yeah. absolutely with a i just wanted to touch on new trachs so let's say you do get the patient who's in respiratory distress with a new trach that came out what do you do if you're in that situation and i know it happened at rescue 16 last year there was a a lady who had a fresh trach and she actually was having an anxiety attack and the, it was only a week old and she just pulled it out and uh that subsequently led to her having a respiratory arrest and the lieutenant on scene did a fantastic job, but it was a new trach. And he knew that he probably wasn't supposed to put that back in, but that was the source of her respiratory arrest. So what he did and what I would advocate only in that instance where your patient is arresting is use a bougie because it's soft enough. And just like you would with a crike, put the bougie in, do your best to do it gently and get it where you think that airway was and then put the 6-O-E-T tube over it, just like you would for a crike, and confirm with all your normal things, capnography, breast sounds, chest rise. Um, but yeah. yeah. So it, awesome. That's yeah, he a did a story. fantastic job. 
And then what about, what do you think about, um, you know, if it wasn't a laryngectomy and there's still some upper airway anatomy, what do you think about um, like a BVM option? You always, so if the upper airway is an option, you can always use that. Um, um, if you want to try to intubate, you want to use the LMA, even CPAP is good because a lot of these patients will need like positive pressure. The only thing to remember is they have a hole in their neck. So you're going to need to seal the hole sometime, somehow if you are going from above. And I had one of these patients in the hospital just a couple weeks ago where we did have to intubate from above and she had an air leak. And so we just put a tegaderm over the hole in her neck and it worked just fine. Okay. So same as like a sucking chest wound, just some kind of occlusive dressing. Occlusive dressing. going to yeah. be able to cover up that stoma. Mm-hmm. All right, and now let's <laughs> now for the cliffhanger. <laughs> We've been having everybody hang. If the if the trach is bleeding massively, like in your situation, how did you end up uh, dealing with that? And like, what I guess before we get to that, what was going on? Where was all that blood coming from? Okay, um, so ends up what happened was trachea tracheostomies that have been in place a long time. If they're placed a little bit low, or the patient has had radiation, or they have s- tissues that are more friable than normal right below where the end of the trach sits is um, a branch of the aorta called the tracheal innominate artery. It's actually the innominate artery and it butts right up against the trachea. And if that tissue is eroded, um, very rarely this happens, but sometimes you can get that blood coming straight off of the aorta at super high pressures that can erode into the trachea and cause this massive kind of bleeding. And that's probably the most feared complication or tracheostomy emergency that there is. And it's the mortality is off the charts. I think it's I think it's like about fourteen percent of people survive this. So it's a really bad thing. Um, thankfully it happens pretty rarely. Um, your steps to first thing to take away is any kind of bleeding, even this lady, she just had a little bit of dried blood on a four by four. Um, take that seriously and realize that it could be like an indicator of impending problems. So if you see it, take it seriously, get your large bore IVs, keep a close eye on it and try not to manipulate that trach. Um, and now if you get the massive bleeding, um, there's two steps. The textbooks will tell you that there's three steps to handle it, but really I found that there's really only two. Your first step can be to overinflate the balloon if it's a cuffed trach. You want to, it all comes down, it's just, it's simple bleeding, right? It always comes down to direct pressure. So you want to use what's already there to do direct pressure if you can. So you overinflate your cuff and try to maneuver maneuver your cuff to where it'll be pushing against wherever that hole is if that doesn't work and you'll know in about 10 or 15 seconds then just pull the whole thing out and what we ended up doing was putting our finger in and you can and this is on my slides but usually it bleeds right behind the manubrium and you can put your finger in the hole and just pull that artery and use that bone there as kind of a source to provide direct pressure and tamponade. Okay, so manubrium is the very top of the sternum? Yeah, it's that, that solid bone right where, right up at the top, right where your ribs come together. And uh, what you can do, this patient will be choking and gagging and coughing. And so you can try to either do supplemental oxygen from the nose and the mouth. We had a a non-rebreather high flow over her and I also put a nasal cannula on the side of my finger high flow so we could go get her some oxygen directly to her lungs. And in the meantime, you have another set of hands that's trying to suction the blood that's coming out. So a lot of things going on in a little tiny hole, but she ended up actually surviving 
and she made it we had to ride the stretcher with our finger in place up to the operating room and they were able to repair it surgically wow um, <laughs> unfortunately like it did occlude because of the direct pressure for so long it occluded her her right common carotid and so she had a stroke as oh, a consequence wow. but she didn't bleed to death right so and i'm surprised that you know with your finger in there that they're still able to uh get some air by like you're saying with the cannula so yeah we use the little tiny prongs um to kind of squeeze around and then she um still had an upper airway patent too so i think the non-rebreather from above helped a little as well awesome all right well hopefully not doesn't happen to anybody out there but uh <laughs> now you know what to do if it does yeah. um thanks for listening hopefully you're a little bit more familiar now with uh with a trach if you do run into it out there in the field and um hopefully it's more of just a simple um cleaning out the that inner cannula so all right everybody thanks for watching and talk to you on the next episode